0: Thank you, and you may be seated for just a couple of minutes, and let me respond and visit with you before the reading from the Bible. Thank you, Pastor, for the invitation to be at First Pentecostal Church of Jennings, Louisiana. It has been a good while since we were here for that conference, but I do well remember it, and uh, we had a wonderful time then. But I'm much more delighted to be back today at a church setting. I do give honor to this church. I give honor to your heritage and to your great history. The long leadership of your past, Pastor Brother Alexander, has long been noted in the ranks of Pentecost. But I will tell you this, and this is not an exchange of compliments between Pastor and I but you could have looked the world over and you would not have found a more righteous man and capable man to pick up the reins of leadership and to take you to your future. Let's give honor to our pastor. Amen. I want to say a couple of things about him. I have known him for a number of years. I've known his family and different members of the family for quite a long time. Uh, I have a great friendship with his father, and my wife and I dearly loved his deceased mother. Great people that we've loved dearly. Now to him personally, I want you to know that I've heard him on the local church stage when he preached for me back in my years in Hattiesburg. Then I paid attention and I noted something special. About this man's pulpit preaching and ministry. A few years ago, I heard him on the national conference stage, and I have told him this privately, but I will tell you this that it was one of the most moving, impressive, well prepared, and well delivered Bible sermons that I've ever heard. And I will never forget that. And I will tell the church, that you need to count your blessings, that you have a student and a scholar and one that applies himself to the ministry of the preaching of the gospel. Amen. Thank you, Brother Townley, for allowing my wife and I to be here. God bless you. Thank you for yesterday. He took us out to a delicious meal. Some of you folks here in Jennings may call it dinner because it was late, but now where I'm from, we still call it supper So he took us out to a delicious supper, a great fellowship, and thank you for the spacious, clean, and comfortable hotel room that you've got us in. And Brother Townley, if you're the one that put together the snack basket, don't go out of business. You did a good job. I got a feeling, though, that it wasn't your hands that did it. Because whoever wrote the welcome card, it didn't look like the rough-hewn handwriting of a man. So if you're here and you did it, thank you very, very much. Thank you. I'd like for my wife to stand. This is Sister Odin. If the Lord lets us stay together, and we're not planning on separating, by the way. Don't get that started. But if the Lord keeps us in good health come the month of October she and I will celebrate our 54th anniversary. Not only is she my faithful wife, but all of you men need to pick up on this. She's my girlfriend. And I love her very much, and I make her welcome. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Tonight is building for an offering. This is good. By the way, I passed by your selected property where you plan to eventually build what a location. Amen. That is tremendous. And just visiting briefly with your pastor yesterday and him telling me about his vision, hopes, and plans for you as a church. Uh, he's committed to this, he's committed to your city, this community. And what a beautiful time it's going to be when that facility is built very visible from the I-10. However, I don't want to advance time that quickly. I appreciate this building. Sister Odom, this is so clean. This is so neat. This is so presentable. And I, I compliment you for the well care of this building. Finally, before I preach, Thank you for the music, and thank you for the songs. It's good to go to a church every now and then when I know what they're singing. And I feel like I've almost came home today when I heard some of the songs that you sung. Now, not only is Brother Townley a very special and anointed preacher, but Hey, that's some singing too, isn't it? Um, God's not fair. He gives preaching and singing to him, and he gives me neither. So you're blessed to have the leadership of Brother Townley, and I give regards to your wife and your family. I know they're out to Little Rock, and if I'd have had the choice of going to Little Rock or hearing old man Odom preach, I'd have gone to Little Rock. I'm going to escape from my normal style of preaching, not preaching, but Bible reading. I'm going to have you to remain seated while I read my first Bible selection, but then I will have you to stand when I read my last scriptural reading. And the reason that I want to do this is simply because um, I have been privileged to teach homiletics at a college level in time past. And I do understand that it's best to read a very brief Bible lesson because most Pentecostals think that if you read a lengthy Bible text, that means you're going to preach a long sermon. Well, if you're thinking that, you're right. But I can read one short verse and preach to the cows come home, so don't worry about that. So I'll have you to stand in a few minutes. How's that? But when I read this, the reason I want to read a lot of Bible is because if I leave anything out, you may very well miss some important things in the message that I'm going to preach. So if you have your Bibles, open them, please. And you may remain seated by my request. That's the book of 1 Kings chapter 20. Pastor, I will say this to you that I believe that my wife and I have been invited to be here in the will of God, and I have never questioned about what the Lord would do in these services. However, I'm not going to be the key to what God does. It's going to be all a Holy Ghost event. But in my time of prayer and devotion and seeking God for the service today and tonight, especially yesterday, very early, I received a visit from the Holy Ghost. And I believe that God has given me a very precise word for this morning, a very precise moment. First Kings chapter 20 beginning at verse 1. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his host together. And there were 32 kings with him, and horses, and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city and said unto him, Thus saith Ben Hadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine. Thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest, are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My Lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. In fact, he just folded up, he acquiesced, he capitulated not even a fight, just come get it, it's all yours. Verse five, and the messengers came again and said, thus speaketh Ben-Hadad, saying, although I have sent unto thee, saying, thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy gold and thy wives and thy children, yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time. And they shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants. And it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put it in their hand and take it away. Ahab, in verse 7, the king of Israel, called all the elders of the land and said, Mark, I pray you, and see how this man seeketh mischief. For he sent unto me for my wives and for my children and for my silver and for my gold, and I denied him not. And the elders and all the people said unto him, that's unto Ahab, hearken not unto him, don't consent. Wherefore he said unto the messengers of ben Tell my lord the king, all that thou didst send for to thy servant at the first, I will do. But this thing I may not, no, I may not do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. And Benadad sent unto him and said, The gods, small g, false gods, The gods do so unto me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people that follow me. And the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. And it came to pass when Ben-Hadad heard this message, He was drinking, he and the kings, that's 32 more of them, in the pavilions that he said unto his servants, set yourselves in array. And they set themselves in array against the city. And behold, there came a prophet Unto Ahab, it started with elders and said, Don't give in to him the second time. From elders, it became a prophet. And the prophet said unto Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it to thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus saith the Lord, even by the young men of the princes of the provinces. Then he said, Who shall order the battle? And the old prophet said, Thou or you. Then he numbered the young men of the princes of the provinces. And there were 232 and said after them, He numbered all the people, even all the children of Israel, being 7,000. Do the quick math, 7,232 against such a great formidable army of the Syrians. Verse 16, and they went out at noon, but Benadad was drinking himself drunk in the pavilions, he and the kings, the 30 and 2 kings that helped him. And the young men of the princes of the provinces went out first, and Benadad sent out and they told him saying There are men that come out of Samaria and he said whether they be come out for peace take them alive or whether they come out for war take them alive So these young men of the princes of the provinces came out of the city and the army which followed them and that little group of 7,200 plus in verse 20. And they slew everyone his man, and the Syrians fled. And Israel pursued them. And ben the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and the chariots and slew the Syrians with a great slaughter. And the prophet, came to the king of Israel, said unto him, Go strengthen thyself and mark and see what thou doest, for at the return of the year or at a new year the king of Syria will come up against you. And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, I'll call his name again, O Ben-Adad, their gods are the gods of the hills, therefore They were stronger than we. Let us fight against them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than they. And do this thing. Take the kings away. Every man out of his place and put captains in their rooms. And number thee an army like the army that thou hast lost. Horse for horse and chariot for chariot. And we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And he hearkened unto their voice and did so. And it came to pass at the return of the next year, if you please, that Ben-Hadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present One against them, and the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids, but the Syrians filled the company. Verse 28, would you stand? It started with the elders. Secondly, there came a prophet, but I like the way verse 28 starts. And there came a man of God. Pastor, I thank God for elders. I thank God for prophets. But there comes a time we need to go to the top echelon. I thank God for men of God. Verse 28 reads thus. And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord. Because the Syrians have said the Lord is the God of the hills, but he's not the God of the valleys. Therefore, would I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Turning your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 48. Uh, I might tell you that I've been preaching for a long time. Um. I was called when I was nine years old. I preached my first sermon when I was eighteen. Uh, I've been married almost fifty-four years. Um, I've preached, taught at some venue over sixteen thousand times in my years. But for those of you that's keeping the clock today, my time don't start till after I finish reading the Bible. <laughs> Fair enough. The psalmist writes in Psalms 48 and 1 and 2, and a quick backdrop about what I just read. The Syrians say that you're the God of the hills, not a God of the valleys. I like what David writes. Great is the Lord, in verse 1, and greatly to be praised in the city of God and the mountains of his holiness. Verse 2. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Those first three words in verse 2, beautiful for situation. It doesn't matter if it's the mountains. It doesn't matter if it's the valley. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy. It doesn't matter if you're on welfare. It doesn't matter. Jesus is God. Yes, amen. Yes, he is. Beautiful for situation. Thank you for letting me come. I'll let you go and have lunch after a while, and we don't ever get finished. How do you expect me to preach about an eternal God and get it done in 45 minutes? You may be seated. My comments quickly from Psalms 48 is this. I've been a Pentecostal practically all my life. My mother and my father were converted in the year of 1950, the same year that my wife's parents were converted. And I think I've heard it, and I think I've seen it all, especially the excuses and the alibis. But I also know that we as Pentecostals, we have concluded that for God to move in church, we've got to have the right atmosphere or God can't move. We've got to have the right music or God can't move. We've got to sing the right songs or God can't move. We've got to have the right teacher to teach or the right preacher to preach. And if those things are missing, tough luck. God can't move. My response to my opening comments are these that God doesn't need my preaching and my teaching. God does not need your music and your singing. He is God. He moves when He wants, He moves how He wants, He moves where He wants, and He uses who He wants. So this is my presentation about the deity of Jesus Christ. Now these Syrians, now they had concluded through the so-called gurus and think tanks of King ben Haddad that they had analyzed the reason that such a small little army of 7,230-ish had defeated such a formidable military juggernaut like King Ben-Hadad of Syria had. There had to be some situation involved why that event happened. So they concluded that it was the battleground that made the difference. And because that first battle was fought in the mountains and not fought in the plains, The so-called military analysis that was given to King Benedict said, we were defeated because of where the battle unfolded. Because their God is a God of the mountains. And the biggest mistake that the so-called military analysis was about that is that they were diminishing from the deity of Almighty God. And they advise Ben-Hadad that the reason that they lost so resoundingly is because of where the battle was fought and their God was the God of the mountain and their God was not the God of the plains and the man of God called the plains the God of the valley. I want to tell you this real quick, and this is only for Pentecostal people that enjoy living in your so-called spiritual valley, and when you're down and out, you hang your feelings out on the sleeve, where everybody will know that you're not a happy camper, and that you're in a deep, dark, dark valley, and nobody understands what you're going through. The word valley is not even a New Testament word. It's found in the Old Testament over 40 times, but the word valley is not located in the New Testament between Matthew and the book of Revelation. Only once was it nearly referred to when the great evangelist, John the Baptist preached in the wilderness of Judea, and a part of his sermon was that when the Messiah would come, he would level all the mountains, and he would fill all the valleys. So for those of us that tend to enjoy always being on the down and out, And perhaps always on the discouraged, distressed, despondent, depressed side of life, valley is not a part of the New Testament language. That don't mean that you won't go through some trials. That don't mean that you won't go through sadness and sorrow. But what it does mean, that God is God regardless of your situation. He doesn't alter. He doesn't revise. He does not change. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. If you're in good health, he's God. If the doctor has said that you have terminal cancer, he's God. If you're in good health, He's God. If the doctor says you have untreatable, incurable coronary disease, he's still God. He's a very present help in the time of trouble and in the time of need. As a matter of fact, I want to rush for just a moment and tell you that if you brought sickness to church with you today, you can leave it at the altar. If you brought struggles and sorrow to church with you today, you can leave them at the altar. I don't have a blueprint that is a cover all or a one size fits all, but I promise you if you'll get your mind off of yourself and get your mind on the Lord Jesus Christ, He can do exceedingly, yeah. abundantly above all that we're able to ask or to to even think. So to show you how blunt I can be in preaching, I've come to speak to heart disease. God is greater than you. I've come to speak to tumors and cancers. God is greater than you. I've come to speak to high blood pressure and to low blood pressure. God is greater than you. I've come to speak against kidney or renal failure. God is greater than you, ladies and gentlemen. He is the God of the Old Testament, and he is still the healer of all thine diseases. Yeah. It would be remiss on my part if I talked about just the physical healing, but let me be sure to advance this directly to the devil. If the devil is fighting you proverbially, both tooth and nail, don't you ever forget God is stronger than the devil will ever be. How do I get out of it? You clap your hands out of it. How do I get out of it? I shout praises out of it. How do I get out of it? I magnify the Lord out of it. Let's do that right now. I want to visit with you with a few comments of Bible mathematics, and this is astounding to me. I want to quote somewhat of a verse in the Old Testament that if one can put a 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight, Jesus advanced his math like this, that where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst of them, Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail brought a revival to that provincial capital of Philippi when loaves and fish fell into the hands of its maker, Jesus Christ. 5,000 were fed. So don't think that you've got to have a majority in number for God to move in your church. But what I am looking for this morning, just one or two that will link up with me, and we're going to believe God for a financial miracle for the church. But more than a financial miracle to supply the needs to relocate, we're going to believe God for an old-fashioned apostolic revival to Sweet Jennings, Louisiana. I wish to God that my voice could be heard throughout this entire community. Probably if I knew the truth about backsliders in Jennings, Louisiana, this church would not be nearly large enough to just to feel the backsliders that would come in here. I've come to advance a statement to every backslider. Hear me out there, backslider. There's a church in Jennings that is about to break through to a Holy Ghost revival and the backsliders will come home. If you believe that with me, clap your hands unto the Lord. We don't have the math available. You may be seated about the first battle between the 7,000 and the 232 Israelites. But we do know that the Bible says that they covered the field or they covered the land. And this small army of 7,232, against all military odds and against conventional warfare, they defeated the formidable Syrian army with a very great slaughter. But at the beginning of a new year, we do have a little more information of how large the Ben Hadad army was. We do know that it numbered 100,000 strong against 7,232. And according to future verses that I did not read in the book of first kings, that that would, that would average out one against 138. And we do know that 7,232 little camps like flocks, they took on the strongest army of the geographical region of its day. And as far as I can decide, there was not one injury. There was not one fatality, and there was not one casualty of that 7,232. But before it was over, that is an average. I want you to hear this. That's an average that there was 1,389 Syrians killed every Every 60 seconds. That means an average of 23 Syrians killed every of the clock because it was not army against army it was not military against military the Syrians made the fatal mistake and they questioned the deity of the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob I have come to make a public announcement to this church and I hope all of the chambers of hell hears this announcement the deity of Jesus Christ has been questioned but he's still God. The deity of Jesus Christ has been minimized but he's still God and there's no possible way that a little flock of apostolics can defeat the formidable foe of Satan and his army but the battle does not belong to you but the battle belongs to God. Perhaps I got the wrong sermon after all. Perhaps you don't know what a battle is all about. Perhaps you don't know what sickness and sorrow is all about. Whatever you do, don't you ever question who Jesus Christ is. You find it from Genesis to Revelation. I can't help it, but let me give you a little bit of it. He's still the creator of Genesis, the Passover lamb of Exodus, the high lifted up one of numbers, the high priest of Leviticus, the royal law of Deuteronomy. He's the commanding officer of Joshua. He's the merciful judge of judges. He's the near kinsman of Ruth. He's the king of Matthew. He's the servant of Mark. He's the man of John. He's the divine God of the book of Luke and of John. He's the apostolic revival in the book of Acts. And throughout the pages of the Bible, you will find him a friend that's thicker closer than a brother. You will find him all together with, wonderful he's good for your situation praise god. praise god praise god praise god praise god praise god clap on big brother Clap those hands, big brother. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. If I could sing, here's what I would sing. I'm not going to sing, but you can be seated. It's an old one. Life is easy when you're up on the mountain and you have peace of mind like you've never known. But things change when you're down in the valley. Don't lose faith. You're never alone. For God is the God of the mountain and he's the God in the valley. When things go wrong, he'll make them right. And the God of the good times is still the God of the bad times. The God of the day is the God of the night. I'm certainly at complete liberty and freedom in this desk today. But I've preached long enough to know when I sense that there is a special event taking place somewhere in the congregation of a local church. We have learned as veteran Pentecostals to wear our smiley face. And when we're asked, we're quick to respond that life is good and everything is going perfect. We feel like if we acknowledge the fact that there are some things that are backfiring in reverse and going backwards, that it's a sign of weakness. But there comes a time in everybody's life, mine, yours, every pastor, every preacher, that we have to acknowledge that all hell has broken out against us. We pray and it seemed like we pray to no avail. We fast and it seemed like we fast to no avail. We worship, and it seemed like we worship to no avail. It appears from time to time that Satan has us on the proverbial spiritual ropes, and he's prepared for the knockout punch. I've come to address that issue to a church, to a family, or to an individual. Get up, fight again. Get up, pray again. Get up. Worship again. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't throw your heads up in despair. Call upon him while he is near. He's the God of situations. I don't need to apologize, but from time to time I will make a reference to events in the life of the Odoms while you're being seated. Thank you. She was only 20. Her name was Amanda. Beautiful, not because she was mine godly not because she was mine but she was a juvenile diabetic which means beginning at age three she became insulin dependent diabetes is a very unmerciful disease it fights against the vital organs of the body even when you're feeling well and life is good it breaks down the kidneys It breaks down the heart. It breaks down the liver. Obviously, the pancreas is not producing insulin. It brings high or low blood pressures. It breaks down the network of the nerves in the entire body. 17 years of dealing with juvenile diabetes and insulin dependency took a toll on my beautiful daughter. And on the 12th of May, 1992, it was a decision that God made, and we have found ways in our life to receive it as the will of God the Lord called her home. Standing around the bed in the ICU unit of the old Methodist hospital in Jackson, Mississippi, was my wife and I, and there was an army of friends that had gathered to support us In those last dark, dark hours and, yay, ticking moments, we stood at the side of my little girl when the doctor put his hand on my shoulder and said, Reverend, I've done all that I can do. I'm so sorry. I told you a moment ago that she's both wife and girlfriend, but when that last little breath was taken, it was my wife that gripped my trembling hand. And she lifted our hands heavenward. And over that little cold corpse, my wife began to say, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We magnify your name. The point I'm making is this. Never in my life had I gone through such a deep, dark ravine and a dark, dark valley. But it took a spiritual woman that took my broken hand and my broken heart and taught me a valuable lesson that we don't give in to hurts and we don't give in to sorrow. We don't give in to disappointments and we don't give in to situations of life. I have not come today to lead you in a traditional Pentecostal pep rally on Sunday morning but the longer you sit and fold your arms and fold your hands bow your head and the gloom of gray and darkness spread over you the devil will continue to drag you down but when you come to terms that my God is the God of situation. You might feel like sitting. You might feel like gloom. But throw those hands up and the clouds will depart. The sun will shine again. Victory in Jesus shall rule in your life. Fast forwarding time. Just five years ago, the daughter that we have that lives in Jackson, Mississippi, her name is Lorinda. Our daughter Lorinda, who was four years older than Amanda, she was diagnosed as a juvenile diabetic when she was five years old. She don't mind me saying this, but she's fifty today. However, she also suffered the rigors and the physical breakdown of juvenile diabetes, heart attack, eyesight problems, renal or kidney failure, to the point that six years ago we had to go on life-sustaining dialysis. My wife and I took a sabbatical from the pulpit where I pastored at the time. And it was round the clock dialysis exchanges. The nephrologist in the Jackson metro area made arrangements for our daughter to possibly have a kidney transplant at UAB in Birmingham, Alabama. And when the time and the call came for my daughter who was in a life or death circumstance to be quickly gotten to UAB in Birmingham for the transplant, it just so happened that when she checked in, there was a beautiful Afro-American woman by the name of Cynthia that was doing the processing of checking my daughter in my daughter facing surgery that could perhaps extend her life or failure of this kidney. She was facing the ultimate. But here she comes in at the lowest time in her life, bouncing and smiling and speaking to everyone and telling everyone how great she felt And how happy she was when the fact was in less than 12 hours, she was going to go through a five and a half hour kidney transplant surgery. Little did we know that little black sister Cynthia was paying attention to that happy, joyous little apostolic girl that was facing the ultimatums of life. We went through the surgery My daughter became the poster child of a successful kidney transplant. Everything was picture perfect. Two days later, while she was still in her recovery, there was a light and a gentle knock on the door. My wife, or perhaps myself, we opened the door, and there stood beautiful little black lady, Cynthia, the receptionist. And she said, may I come in and speak to Laura, Lorenda? And she came in and she said, Laura, what you don't know, I'm a backslider. My pastor is Barry Sutton. I'm far away from God. But when I admitted you to UAB, something about your joy and your happiness and your mental outlook... It smote my heart. And Lorinda, I know you're here for a transplant. But that's not the real reason you're here. God sent you to me. God, let me see that there's a joy in serving God. And if you can have the joy that you have in the physical condition that I'm in, I'm going to get myself back to church and I'm going to live for God. What I want you to hear me, when you're down, somebody's watching you. When you're battling, somebody's watching you. And it's how you persevere. It's how you endure. And somebody can be led to God through your dedication. Hallelujah. I do think that I need to at least ask, is it dismissal time yet? Boy, that was a week No. If I took that to a resolution, I'd be voted out in a hurry. God help me. I feel it. That's We need it. That's my foundation. Now I'll try to preach a few minutes. That didn't go over either, did it? (laughs) Jesus. What you smiling about? Huh? Well keep your hands off of me. You want to preach with me? Stand up. Do what I say. Whisper. Jesus. Whisper, Jesus. A little louder. 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 you feel him something now, aren't you, bud? A little louder. A little louder. I didn't ask you to lift your hands, but if you, you know, when you start shouting Jesus, you can't help the rest of your body. Shout it, son. Shout it. Shout it. You can be seated, but you stay standing. Ladies and gentlemen, I have come to preach to you briefly this morning that Jesus Christ is good for any situation. When things are good, you need him. When things are not so good, you need him. I'm not trying to just preach good rally-causing Pentecostal slogans but I need to tell you that Jesus Christ is not in the Godhead but the Godhead is in Jesus Christ. I need to tell you he's not a fraction or percentage of God. He is God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel with us. If he's not deity. Then he's an imposter. If he's not deity, then he's an imitator. If he's not deity, he's an impersonator. If he's not deity, he's a false prophet. If he's not deity, he's the false Christ. But I've come to advise this Pentecostal audience that Christ Jesus is not only the God of the mountains but he's the God of the valleys. He's God in heaven and he's God in earth. He's God in the atmospheres. He's God in the stratospheres. He was God in the womb of Mary. He was God in the tomb of Joseph. He was God at the manger and he was God at the cross. He is deity in Jerusalem and he is deity in Judea. He is deity in Bethlehem, and he is deity in Bethany. He is deity in the wilderness of temptation, and he's deity on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's deity at the pool of Bethesda, and he's deity at the pool of Siloam. He's deity on the Mount of Olives, and he's deity on Mount Calvary. He's deity at the Jordan River, and he's deity at the Sea of Galilee. He's deity in the national temple, and he's deity in the local synagogue. He's deity in Gadara, and he's deity in Gergesa. He's deity in Bethany. He's deity over every tear. He's deity over every sin. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me a moment of distinction to tell you that in him, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and we are complete in him. All can be seated but my Jesus man here. I want you, how old are you? 23. How did you get so handsome so quick? I need a Jesus praiser while I preach. The only, the only situation you shout in Jesus while I'm preaching that's going to disturb, it's not going to bother me. It's not going to bother this church. But if you'll just keep shouting Jesus, while I preach for the next three minutes is going to tear hell wide open. He cannot stand the name of Jesus. He cannot stand when the name, hakatolomu shatai. In the name of Jesus I pray for every sick body. In the name of Jesus I pray for those in every trial. In every in the name of Jesus, shout that name, brother! Shout that name, brother! For at the name of Jesus, 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 name of Jesus, name of Jesus every new will bow. For at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess he is Lord of all. Before I enter to my last few minutes of my Sunday morning visit with you and please be seated. I want to, uh, Pastor, I'm going to take my liberty here. Not only are holiness standards now harshly criticized. I thank God for you, brother. I thank God for your beautiful church. I thank God for what you stand for. And let me say to you, this is right. Separation from the world is right. Sanctification is right. And if your friends and colleagues and contemporaries try to reason with you about these holiness standards, you set them in place. The fathers of the faith gave this to us. Be seated. Furthermore, worshiping Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth is right. You keep doing what you're doing. You keep leading this church in worship. It's right. You keep leading this church in praise. It's right. Not only are holiness standards under attack, but the basic plan of salvation is under attack. We were raised and taught that the New Testament, new birth is constituted by repentance from sin, water baptism in Jesus' name, and that by immersion and the reception of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But now modern apostolic think tanks, they're trying to find a way to tell people that you're saved at whatever light that you have in the Bible. I've come to tell you that Christ Jesus is the light of the world and it's in him that we live and that we move and that we have our being. Sadly, men that I still call friends that once stood in our national pulpits and preached this glorious message as I preach it today, They have now found a way to find peaceful coexistence with doctrines that cannot be established in the Bible. I want you to remain seated while I make this statement because usually in a Pentecostal church, it's a rallying cry. But I want to remind you that it is still here, O Israel. The Lord thy God is one Lord. Start. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Louder. All might and power are in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. All wisdom and knowledge is in Jesus. Jesus. All omnipotence and omniscience is in Jesus. All perfection and infallibility is in Jesus. All steadfast and immutability is in Jesus. Louder. All honor, all glory is in Jesus. All love and all devotion is in Jesus. All grace and all kindness is in Jesus. All compassion, all gentleness is in Jesus. All pardon and all forgiveness is in Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. For the last time, I would request for you to be seated. You don't preach too bad. You see this? You see this? I've got chapter and verse to verify it. I'm not presenting to you the latest exciting fantasy from Disney World. This is eternal fact. God, I feel the Holy Ghost in my heart right now. God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Don't you come to me and say that my God is not able. Don't you come to me and say that my God cannot heal the sick. Don't you come to me and tell me that God can't reach the backslider. Don't you come to me and tell me that God can't move in the city of Jennings. Too late, friend. Too late, friend. Too late, friend. Come on, sister. Wave that hanky. Maya, Hallelujah! You're just one whisper of the name of Jesus away from your victories. You're just one whisper of the name of Jesus away from conquering. Usually, after I preach a weekend, I don't get invited back. So, while I'm here, if that would be the results of my preaching this weekend, I'm going to go ahead and just take my liberty. I don't know names in this church, but I know spirits. And that man right there on the right that's looking at me with that pretty tone, you've been disturbing my preaching all morning long. About the time I get a hold of it, you're jumping up trying to take over back here. When I talk about Jesus, you throw your hands up. What's the matter with you, man? Don't you know you're in a ceremonial Pentecostal church? Don't you know that we've learned not to do things like that? What I want to tell you, folks, when the Lord is moving... You don't wait for another service. You don't wait for another evangelist. Go ahead, brother. Take over here. Go ahead, brother. He's been wanting to do that all morning long. You just can't praise Jesus and it not affect you. You just can't glorify Jesus and it not affect you. Hallelujah. What? 1053. Oh, <laughs> I I asked this brother what time it is. The first thing you need to do is teach people how to tell time. Is it really 12 o'clock? No. No, 11, 15, 11, 15. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. I'll stop. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I challenge some of you to step out from between your pews. Step out in the aisles. I challenge you, throw your hands up. I challenge you, lift your voice. I challenge you, call upon the Lord while he is near. He's the God of situation. (laughs) (laughs) Hello shando moyo da I want the men to pray for each other, shoulder to shoulder. Come on, men. I want the ladies to pray for each other, hand to hand. Come on, ladies. Come on, girls. I pray for a baptism of unparalleled unity in this church. I pray for a move of God that will bind us together in times like these. I want the men to gather around my pastor I want the men to come gather around my pastor let's pray for our pastor that God will direct him lead this church in the Holy Ghost come on girls come on sisters go find another prayer partner come on girls go find somebody else to pray with come on move around here Pray for someone else, pray with someone else. Link up, arm in arm, brethren, come on. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. My closing comments about the text I read in the book of 1 Kings. It is imperative that you understand that God did not give this great military victory because leadership in Israel was worthy of his blessings. Ahab, a corrupt king, whose wife was Jezebel, who introduced Baalism to Israel, and all of Israel was corrupted. Amen, amen. I won't even embarrass myself to tell a mixed audience just how heinous and perverted their so called sexual worship was to Baal. It was it's shameful. And this was the backdrop of their spirituality when they were facing ultimate annihilation by the Syrians. But in the midst of ultimate annihilation, God sent an elder. In the midst of ultimate annihilation, God sent a prophet. And in the midst of ultimate annihilation, God sent a man of God. And he didn't do this for Israel because there were good boys and good girls. He did it because those Syrians made the fatal mistake of diminishing who he was and what he could do. And I want to borrow from that and make this statement. Jesus Christ is the most malign, criticized person, deity in the world. Buddha is elevated. Hinduism is elevated. Allah is elevated. Shintoism, Confucianism, and you name the rest of the Japanese religions, they're elevated. But in America, Christianity is railed against. In America, it is snited against Amen. narrow-minded, fanatical Christians. I'm telling you, America, you're about to cross the line with the God of the mountains and the God of the valleys. And he's going to put a hand on this earth. And he's about to show out. God is about to show out. God is about to show out. Get ready. I believe it ladies and gentlemen may welcome your elder your prophet and your man of God brother Townley sir would you come this is